at verses 3 through 8 tonight. Before we get in, Pastor Joe asked me to just make an announcement. Um, if you serve here in any capacity on Sunday, we're just asking everybody to park behind the church because with all this snow, it's taken up space for the cars to park. And if you have a four-wheel drive, if you could park on the grass. So that's only if you're in any type of ministry here. Okay, otherwise you can just use the parking lot as is. Okay, we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. Last time, we just looked at cha- uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. What's happening now is I need to turn my Bible to Romans instead of 1 Corinthians. That's what needs to happen. <laughs> Believe it or not, I am. You only have to come to one of the basketball games to realize that. Gary, be quiet. Okay, Romans uh, chapter 12, 1 and 2, we looked at last time. And that was talking about how through God's mercies, we have the ability to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, set apart for the Lord. And then verse 2 is not to be conformed to this world system, the world culture, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And because of having our mind renewed, the last part of verse 2 says, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now the first, 12, the first 11 chapters of Romans showed us our depravity. It shows us um, the state that we're in without Christ. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. Then the great news is the gospel that because of what Jesus did by coming to this earth, dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead, we're now new creatures in Christ. We can now live according to his plan because of the Holy Spirit within every believer. Now what happens in chapter 12 through 16 is the practical application of everything that we can do now. And what we're going to look at tonight are simply the gifts that God has given you and me. You might not be aware that God has blessed each of you with one or more gifts. And he wants us to exercise those gifts. So the prayer for uh, for the pastors tonight for you is that you're going to realize what your gift is and how to exercise that gift. Now, if you're a new believer here tonight, you're recently saved, we just encourage you to sit under the teaching of God's Word for several months. Just sit back and relax and let God just minister to you. He will show you in His timing the gifts that you have. And doors will open as you continue to just grow in the grace and knowledge of him. But let's take a a look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly 
as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Again, throughout God's word, especially in the New Testament, we're always confronted with the word grace. Remember, grace is getting something you don't deserve. It's a gift. An acronym for grace that you've heard before is God, God's riches at Christ's expense. Because of what he did, he just gives us gifts. He loves you so much, he always wants to put a loving on you. And he blesses you with gifts and grace. The word humble there. Humble simply means a servant's heart. Just having a servant's heart. Remember, Jesus was God, but he served everybody. He was the low man on the totem pole. What he could do for others was his heart's desire. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, If anyone follows me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. He's our example. When we're in doubt, just look to Jesus. Jesus will show you which way we have to go. The word soberly, to be sober, not only physically, but spiritually. And the way you apply that sober spiritually is just thinking of it this way. Free from any intoxicating influence of sin. Where it's not guiding your actions, it's not guiding who you are. An example of spiritual intoxication would be where you're allowing envy or greed or power to influence your Christian witness, your Christian walk. It's overtaking you. In other words, you're not doing it for the glory of God. You're doing it for your own glory. Maybe you're in a church position and you feel puffed up because you're in that position in the church. That's not the right attitude. If you're in any position in this church, it's just to serve others. It's just making it easy for others to receive God's word up here and to let that transform their lives. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says, You and I are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood. We're here to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Another way as we're going to look at this as being members of a body. We're also living stones, making up the church of Jesus Christ. It's a living stone, not a dead stone. A living stone does something. As we look at verse 4, it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. Now understand, this is talking about you tonight and me tonight. We're members of the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. Each of us have a function to perform. As we perform these functions, guess what happens? The body of Christ is strengthened because each one of us are doing our part in that body. Just think of our body parts if one of my or your body parts wasn't working. It weakens the body. It's, it's not as strong as it should be. The key is we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, for he is the head and he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our walk with him. Let's take a look at verse 5. 
So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This just reeks of teamwork, of family, of being together, of relying on each other. There has to be a dependency on one another in order for the body to work properly. To, be, to have a unity in the body of Christ. We belong to each other in Christ. We minister to one another in Jesus. We need each other. And if you've ever been a part of any church that something happens and there, there's a hurt that takes place, maybe it's a church split that you went through, that hurts the body of Christ. It hurts those members that are there. That's why all of you, regardless if you're brand new coming to this church or you've been here a while, you're part of the body of Christ here in this church. God has you here for a purpose, not only to be built up in him, but to also have a positive effect on the other members in that body. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Notice in that verse, there's gifts. They're different gifts. They're given to you and me because of God's grace. And notice the last part. Let's use them. Let's use the gifts that God gives us. Now, God might have given you many gifts, it might just be one gift. Just because someone has one or more gifts doesn't make that person more spiritually mature, though. Maturity comes as we grow through the years in our relationship with Jesus. But the gift could be there right from the beginning. So there takes a, um, a mentoring or nurturing for that gift to come into full bloom. And that's where the elders and the pastors try to help you identify your gifts, try to give you opportunities to use your gifts. We're all part of that body that's trying to function properly. An example of gifts that are misused would be some of the pastors and teachers of like the Word of Faith movement or the Name it and Claim It teachers and pastors. They're using their position of being able to teach or pastor in a way that doesn't line up with Scripture. And a lot of times it comes back to becoming very wealthy, becoming very prestigious. And it's not the thing that God has called us to do. It shouldn't be where anything is on the pastor or on an elder or on a church member. It should be everything is pointed to Jesus Christ through the gifts that he has given us. Now the question, of course, tonight is, do you know what your gift or gifts are? Do you know what they are? As you sit under any teaching from this pulpit, your gifts are being fed they're being sharpened. They're being increased. The question, of course, is, are they being used? 
if you're being fed and, and you're growing in the knowledge and the grace of God, but you don't use it, a good illustration is like the Dead Sea over in Israel. There's live water coming into it, but it has no outlet. So it dies. Nothing can live in it. So that's like you and I. If we're not using our gifts, it's just killing that body. It needs to have an outlet. Also, it comes down to a matter of faith. It's taking a step of faith to use your gift, to exercise that gift. Sometimes it is a little scary, you know, even for the pastors to come up to teach. There's always some butterflies. You know, there's things going on. You just say, well, Lord, you put me in this position. I'm just trusting you. It's not me. It's you, Lord. And your confidence is not in yourself. It's in Jesus. Damage to churches arise when someone exercises a gift they don't have. They think they have a gift and they're exercising it, but they don't have that particular gift. Or they don't exercise the gift that they do have. In Matthew 25, 25, it's the uh, parable of the talents, where each person was given a certain amount of talents. And that guy who was given one talent, you remember what he did with it? He buried it, where the other guys used it and they multiplied the talents that God gave them. Well, that one talent is like the person who's given a gift and doesn't exercise it. They just bury it. And the thing that I want to keep emphasizing tonight, we all have a gift or gifts that God has given us. Yes, even you, if you're thinking that. Like you might say, well, I don't have a gift. Yes, you do. God has said it in his word. Always remember that gifts come as a result of God's grace. It's nothing you or I do to achieve it. Doesn't matter. It's simply God's gift. He just gives it to you. He bestows it on you because of his grace. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And that's with the gift. He gives it to you just as he wills. He just wants to give it to you. No special reason. He loves you. And he just wants to give you a gift. It's always by grace, and it's through faith that it's exercised. No one gift should have more emphasis than the other. Oh, I wish I could teach. I wish I could go up front and teach the church. Well, you might have another gift that's just as important as teaching. It's very important. Just like the scripture gives the example that all the body parts. Imagine if all our body parts was a foot. All our body parts were a hand or an eye. We couldn't function. We need all the different body parts to have a healthy body. In the church in Corinth, this is what was happening when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthian churches. The church was being torn apart because of the abuse of spiritual gifts. 
The gifts in the church in Corinth were being used as an end in themselves rather than a means of building up the church, the body of Christ. In Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Galatians 5.22-23 says, They had the gifts of the Spirit, but not the fruit of the Spirit. No peace, no joy, no love, no self-control. See, if you, don't, if you have a gift from God, but not the peace, joy, love, self-control that comes from God, it's not a total package. It's all together working in Jesus Christ. Okay, as we continue in the scripture, we're going to look at some of the gifts now. In verse 6, prophecy is the first one, one that we see. Notice it says, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. But let's take a look at what prophecy means for us in the New Testament. If you look in the Old Testament, you know and I know there were the prophets. Usually the prophets would predict something in the future that was near, maybe within that year or in those months. But they would also predict something far off in the future. Some of the prophets even prophesying things at the end of the world, at the end of the age. But they would have that near-time prophecy that came true because people would say, well, he was right on with that near-time prophecy. I think we can say we're pretty sure that that end-time prophecy is going to be true, too. Now, the cool thing for you and I, we can look back on prophecy from our vantage point, and we can see a lot of prophecies that are in the Scriptures that were fulfilled. One comes to mind, out of hundreds of them, that Jesus, that the Messiah would be betrayed for pieces of silver. And he was that he was going to rise from the dead three days after he was crucified. Think of Psalm 22 that talks about the crucifixion of Jesus, a prophetic psalm before crucifixion was even a method of capital punishment. So there's prophecies that we can look back on and see, wow, they're all, they all came true. Now there's prophecies that still have to happen. But over 300 prophecies have already been fulfilled. What are the chances that the ones that are still left are going to be fulfilled? Well, I think because it's God's prophecies, it's going to be 100%. There's not going to be one that isn't fulfilled. But in the New Testament, what does prophecy mean? What does it mean to you and I if we have the gift of prophecy? Does that mean that we're going to predict the future? No. Prophecy for us today is bringing forth the heart and mind of God through the teaching of his word, which may or may not have a predictive meaning. I, we can go into the scriptures and tell you what still has to happen based on what's in the scripture. But we're not going to come up with any predictive thing that's not in the scripture. I could tell you we're going to get 10 to 12 inches of snow tonight. 
That's not guaranteed. And I'd really be a fool if I said, well, the Lord told me we're going to get three feet of snow tonight. It'd be the last time he'd be up here. So the prophecy for the New Testament is just teaching God's word and then bringing out God's word where it talks about future events that still have to take place. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, He that prophesies speak to men to edification. Now that word edification, we're going to see a little later on in the teaching tonight. Edification simply means spiritual growth in a Christian. We're here to edify you, to help you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the scriptures, spending time studying his word, comparing it to other parts of scripture, comparing it to experiences in our lives and sharing that with you, bouncing it off other pastors who are like-minded, that, that are teaching God's word to see if we're on the right track. So when we come up here and, and give you our teaching, it's on course. It's not just things picking out of our feelings and our emotions. He that prophesies speaks to men to edification. Also exhortation in 1 Corinthians 14.3. Now exhortation encourages others to apply that which has been taught. So you've been sitting under a teaching for seven, eight months. So now we're trying to get you to exercise your gifts by applying what you've been taught and passing that on to someone else. Yes, and it can even be by just handing out bulletins. It can be just being an usher. In other words, those are very important things that are going on. It's not something you always have to be out in the limelight. You should never want to be that way. What is God showing you to do and you do it to the best of your ability? Verse 7, ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. Now, ministry is ministering to the personal needs of believers. If you're in ministry... You're ministering to the personal needs of believers. The Greek root word for ministering is deacon. In Acts 6, it talks about the church growing, other people, church growing, other people help ministries. So the disciples could give themselves to prayer and the ministering. The word ministering in that verse is deacon. Deacon is a minister. And what was going on is the church was growing. So the disciples, the apostles, couldn't meet all the needs because the church was getting so big. So other people were chosen to minister to the needs of the people so the original apostles could study God's word and pray. Teamwork. Church was growing. More team members were needed to minister to the different needs. This church is growing. Think of all the things that go on on a Sunday morning. Pastor Joe always says there's a need for, say, more children's 
more children's help or we need some more ushers or whatever. There's a need. Everybody getting involved doing their part, exercising their gift. Now, ministering to the poor, whether that be spiritually poor or physically poor. In other words, we want to minister to people, and many of you have been part of that, whether it's going to Trenton as an outreach to the homeless, helping people here with the backpack ministry to the kids in town. I mean, that's just two that just come to mind, but how many times have you seen, I think of the uh, Roclean home, with those people down there, just always trying to minister to those who aren't blessed like we're blessed. Just trying to help the poor and needy, physically or spiritually. And just serving in practical ways. That's one of the gifts of being a minister. In Proverbs 19, 17, it says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what has been given. Okay, continuing back in our scripture tonight, in verses uh, 6 and 7. Um, he who teaches in teaching. Most of you can teach. Most of you can teach. Teaching is not something that's isolated just to a select few. Many of you can teach if you're just willing to put into the time of studying. If you're a mom or a dad, you're a built-in teacher. You've been doing that since your kids were, came into the world. So it's a matter of, am I willing to put in and invest the time in learning God's Word and then seeing where God puts me so I can teach that to others? Best way to learn how to teach is by teaching. Best way to learn to teach is by teaching. I had a conversation with somebody one time and they said, well, Vinny, when you go up and teach, it seems you're real relaxed and stuff. And I said, well, you've got to understand, I've been a public school teacher for 40 years. So I, I'm like, when I come here, this is awesome compared to when I teach 87th and 8th graders. If they're this quiet, they all have fevers. They're all sick, something's wrong if they were this quiet. So God prepares you over the course of your life to get you ready for, to always do something for Him. So what is it? If you say tonight, well, you know, Vinny, I'm not sure just what my gift is. Well, look back at some of the things that you've been doing over the past few years or 10 years. Those are the very things God has used to mold you, to put you in a position that he wants to use you. And you can always go up to any of the pastors or elders and say, you know, did, has God ever revealed to you what my gift is? And the worst case scenario answer is, well, let's, let's pray about it. And let's keep an eye on what's going on. But if we know you, it's usually pretty easy. When you learn something, 
This is just some encouragement now, some of the things to just get your gifts exercised. And when you learn something, share it with somebody. Share it with a mate. Share it with a friend. That gets you exercise in your gift. Something you just found out. Just share it with somebody. Those are the little baby steps to get you in a position of not one day maybe teaching. Whenever you receive a blessing, pass it on. Big thing now, it seems like when you drive up to these drive-throughs, you know, buy a, a coffee and a donut for the person behind you. You know, pass it on. Well, how much more important would it be to just pass on the things that God's doing in your life? Always apply any teaching that's new to you to yourself. Make it personal. Apply it to yourself. And as you make it personal, it's easier to share it with somebody because it's impacted and it affected your life. Once it's yours, the Holy Spirit can use it to pass it on to other people. Exhortation. I mentioned before, but remember, exhortation is to encourage others to apply that which has been taught. David Guzik is a pastor. A couple of you have heard him before. He's a pastor on the West Coast, and he said this, those who are taught but not exhorted become fat sheep that only take in and never live the Christian life. Those who are exhorted but not taught become excited and active, but have no depth or understanding to what they do and will burn out quickly or work in wrong ways. You know, we sit and you hear parables or you hear about the history of the church and there's some exciting things, like when Pastor Joe's going through 1 Samuel or when Mike was going through uh, Genesis and stuff like that, just things that are going on, or Pastor Paul with some of the practical things in the Psalms. But you know what we're looking at right now? This is like the nitty-gritty stuff, the stuff that we take and we use. It becomes really applicable to us, these gifts. It's a personal thing. Hebrews 5.12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Notice again in that Hebrews 5.12, it says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you're still like babies. A baby grows because it's eating and exercising. We grow spiritually because we're eating God's word and we're exercising those things that God is showing us. Verse 8 of Romans 12. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He who exhorts. There's a word para, P-A-R-A, okay, parallel, like you think of two parallel lines. And the second half of the word comes from a word called ecclesia, 
which has to do with the body of Christ. The word exhort, the Greek word is paraclete. We've heard that word before, paraclete. And when you put these words together, para and ecclesia, it says to come alongside people who are called out of this world. To exhort is to come alongside, like the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, comes alongside of us to help us, to comfort us, to show us the way God would have us go. In this passage, it means to come alongside people who are called out of this world. Well, you and I are called out of this world. We're not, we're passing through this world. We're in it, but not a part of it. And we want to bring as many people with us as we're getting ready to go to heaven. So this coming alongside people who are called out of this world, that's what you and I are supposed to do. Come alongside each other to encourage, to urge, to exhort, to take care of one another when we're hurting, when there's a need, to look for that, to look for that need in a person's life. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When we bear each other's burdens, we're fulfilling the very law that Christ has established. He wants us to look for people that are hurting, that, that people are in need, whether that's physically or spiritually or both. We'll see in uh, eventually in Romans 15.1, it says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. If you are strong in the Lord, it's only to help someone else get stronger. It's to pass it on. It's not to be a dead sea, but to be someone who's exercising and building in to another person's life. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So these are things that God wants us to actively participate in, exercising your gifts. Next in that verse, verse 8, he who gives with liberality, simply meaning this, giving without a public show, mental honesty, not giving to get back, Giving can be just helping someone do something. Push the car. Got stuck in the snow. Just going to push the car. Somebody's coughing. You go out and get them a drink of water. For no other reason than you just want to bless that person. You're not looking to get anything back. I like that word, mental honesty. What is the motive behind us helping one another? Well, it should go back to Colossians 3.17, that all we do is for the glory of God. God, you did everything for me. I'm just doing this for you. This is easy. This is a no-brainer. 
The next in that uh, verse is leading with diligence. Diligence is an earnestness in taking care of the body of Christ. Right now we're looking at um, the word diligence again. Earnestness in taking care of the body of Christ. I like this definition. As an officer takes care of soldiers or a mom takes care of her children. That's the diligence that we have that's being talked about in verse 8 of Romans 12. He who leads with diligence. Not looking to get anything back, but just taking care of that person, just like a soldier is taken care of by the leader or a child is taken care of by the mom. A leader must walk close to Jesus Christ so people can imitate his behavior. Remember, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Leaders should be someone who's walking close to Jesus so that people are saying, oh, I want to be like, I can see it practically happening in that person's life. Whether it's a man or a woman in ministry, I want to be like that person. Look how they are. Understanding that it's the Jesus in that person that's shining through. And in verse 8, the last part, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Galatians 5.22 says, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is joy. John 15.11 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. John 16.24 says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And 1 John 1, 4 says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Back to Romans 12, 8. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Remember, mercy, the extreme example, is you and I deserve hell. But we're not going because of what Jesus did. I can be outside of a homeless shelter trying to regroup people to come in to get some clothes and food, and I might go, I might be like this. Hey, how you doing? Uh, you want to come in and get something to eat or get some clothes? And the guy might say to me, no, I have enough problems of my own. I'm going to keep walking on. Or you can go, hey, what's your name? My name's Vinny. What's your name? Hey, we got some hot food in here, some good clothes. Why don't you come in and get warm for a while? Big difference in receiving one invitation and rejecting the other. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Not begrudging, but being happy about it. Tonight, tomorrow, you will get an opportunity to show grace and mercy. Good luck. Let's pray. 
Father, I just um, thank